0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show Podcast, Hour 3. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program. Glad to have you with me. I want to talk about a story that is a very hyper-local story, but nowhere near me. I sometimes get accused of spending too much time talking about Georgia stuff. I want to talk about... Uh, something in Mississippi. I do not I've got a lot of listeners in Mississippi. I don't have any affiliates yet in Mississippi. A lot of people listen online and I was struck by a story in the associated press that I will get to, but I have to back up first and just explain this to you. The city of Jackson, Mississippi is a city of dysfunction it is a city that has uh, decided to elect a highly, highly progressive far-left mayor. It is a city that has run its infrastructure into the ground. And it is a city that whenever anyone tries to help the city get on its feet, they get accused of being uh, racist. Everything is about racism. Everything is about racism. Uh, Everything is screams racism. You, You do anything to help Jackson, Mississippi, you're going to get attacked as a racist. Jackson, Mississippi's water infrastructure, they stopped actually making people pay for their water bills, their water and sewage. They just didn't collect the bills and the, the thing went financially in the hole. They didn't have the money to fix the water system in Jackson, Mississippi. And when the state refused to intervene because it was local government incompetence, it's racism. That's why the state did intervene. Never mind local city mismanagement. Never mind the government was giving away a service to its citizens without asking them to pay for it. Never mind all of the fiscal mismanagement. Never mind all the corruption. Never mind all the waste, all the fraud, all the abuse. Never mind all the problems. It was all racism all the time when the state said, we're not going to help you fix this problem unless you change the way you're doing business. They didn't want to have to change the way they were doing business which would just get them back in the hole. Jackson, Mississippi is a third-world hellhole in the United States of America. Race has nothing to do with it. It is incompetence and crime. In fact, in January of this year, the city of Jackson, Mississippi decided to get help from the U.S. Marshals Office. Crime has gotten out of control. Jackson, Mississippi is now one of the, if not the deadliest capitals in the United States of America, of the 50 states. They, the, the city surpassed St. Louis, uh, Missouri for deaths, for murders. It's, it's horrible. This is from CNN. This is uh, December 28th, 2021. Around Thanksgiving, this crisis-plagued state capitol, saw a series of shootings that pushed this year's homicide rate past 130, setting a grim annual record for a city that over the last two years has quietly become one of the country's deadliest. The killings, like so many in another record-setting year of American gun violence, are not the kind that receive national attention. A local business owner was shot outside a barber shop while sitting in his car. A few days later, a man was killed in a shooting that also wounded a 13-year-old boy. A 22-year-old inside a car was sprayed with gunfire at a gas station. A 63-year-old man whose death by gunfire is still largely unexplained. In the state's most populous city, a former Confederate stronghold that would later give way to thriving black business districts and serve as a hub for the civil rights movement, residents are now grappling with a gun violence epidemic that spiked at the onset of COVID-19 and shows no signs of abating. That was from 2021. This is from January of 2023. For the third consecutive year, Jackson had record recorded more than 100 homicides. In 2020, Jackson, Mississippi reached a record-breaking 128 homicides. In 2021, the city surpassed that record, reaching 155 homicides, prompting the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting to proclaim Jackson as America's deadliest major city. For 2022, the city recorded at least 130 homicides, although an official count of Jackson's homicides has not yet been released for 2022, and of those, at least three were stabbings and one was a decapitation. Most of the homicides were due to gun violence. FBI data on final numbers won't be released until the spring. Jackson Police Department officials are still working on tallies and couldn't confirm official homicides at the time. That was from December, January 23rd of 2023. This is from January 5th of this year as well. Jackson and Hines County law enforcement agencies are partnering with the U.S. Marshals Service to address violent crime in the city. Marshals Service Director, Ronald Davis, visited Jackson on Thursday and during a forum, asked the mayor, local law enforcement, and community members what kind of resources and support they need. We will partner with our local partners to be very strategic. I think a lot of this for me is that I never took it that we're here to solve problems, but better understand the challenges you're facing. And now there's this, well, no reason to go through this. Duplicative, but that's the point. So let's just recap here in 2020 there were over 130 murders in Jackson, Mississippi. In 2021, there were 155 murders, making Jackson per capita the deadliest city in America, the deadliest state capital in America. In 2022, there were more than 130 homicides. And in January, there had been so many towards the end of the year, they still hadn't counted all the bodies to be able to figure out how many were murders. Some of them were knives, one was a decapitation. Most of them were gun crimes. It's gotten so bad that the city of Jackson, Mississippi, and Hines County have had to ask the U.S. Marshal Service to intervene and assist them. Now, now, let's pivot. Let's pivot to what's happening right now. This is from yesterday. This is Emily Pettis. In the Associated Press, you've got you, you got you got the picture right. You got the picture. Jackson, Mississippi, most violent city in America now. More homicides per capita than any city in America. It's got waste, fraud, abuse. It's got uh, internal infrastructure problems. It's got problems with its water system. It's got a a, a demoralized police force. It's got too few police officers. It's got a far left mayor that hasn't been great on these issues. And so the state legislature has decided they got to intervene to save the residents of Jackson, Mississippi from the government the residents voted for. But it's not just them, it's the spillover effect. There are a lot of people who commute into Jackson, Mississippi from outside Hines County. Hines County is where Jackson's located. There are a lot of people who commute into Jackson, Mississippi. My sister is one of those people. And those people need to be protected as well. Those people are getting murdered as well. This is how the Associated Press reports on the state government deciding to beef up law enforcement in Jackson, Mississippi. The majority white and Republican led Mississippi Senate voted Tuesday to pass its version of a bill that would allow an expanded role for state police and appointed judges inside the majority black capital city of Jackson, which is led by Democrats. It is vastly improved from where it started, but it's still a snake. Democratic Senator John Horn of Jackson said of the bill during Tuesday's debate, critics say that in a state where older African Americans still remember the struggle to gain access to the ballot decades ago, the bill is a paternalistic attempt to intrude on local decision-making and voting rights in the Capitol, which has the highest percentage of black residents of any major U.S. city. They leave out that it also has the highest percentage of murders of any U.S. city. The Mississippi House, which is also majority white and Republican-led, passed the first version of the bill last month. The House version would have created two permanent new courts inside Jackson with judges appointed by the Mississippi Supreme Court Chief Justice. The current justice is a conservative white man. Jackson's Mayor Lumumba, who is black, said the proposal reminds him of apartheid. The Senate voted 34 to 15 to pass its revised version of the bill, which Republicans in favor and Democrats opposed. Supporters of the bill said they're trying to improve public safety in Jackson, which has had more than 100 homicides during the past each of three years. We all know the nation is watching. They have been, Republican Senator Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula said before Tuesday's Senate vote. And with this bill, we're standing up for the citizens of Jackson and our state capitol. The Republican Governor Tate Reeves has decried crime in Jackson, but hasn't said if he'll sign the bill. All it is, is race. All it is, is an article from the Associated Press making this about racism. The legislature is trying to help. The legislature is trying to save lives. The legislature is trying to look out for people. The local government has failed. The state government is stepping in because they're Mississippi citizens. They may be residents of Jackson, but they're citizens of Mississippi. And the state legislature wants to protect those citizens from an out-of-control crime scene. They want to boost police in the area. They want to boost judges in the area. They want to deal with the backlog in crime by creating new judges who can handle the cases that are overwhelming the system. And they're screaming racism. The Democrats are screaming racism. The local government is screaming racism. At some point, you have to acknowledge that sometimes the worst thing you can do is save people from their choices. And if it was just Jackson, Mississippi residents, I think you could argue that maybe the, maybe the state government should not do this. Maybe the state should not do this and let the local government deal with it to their own detriment. But the problem here is you've got a massive worker base in in Jackson, Mississippi that commutes into Hines County and Jackson, Mississippi from away from it. People drive in from Vicksburg. People drive in from Natchez and Raymond. People drive in from, from all over the place. I'm just – this This is what gets me, and this, this actually does go full circle to what Tucker Carlson is doing with the January 6th stuff. To recap, all Tucker Carlson is doing is what the media did with the George Floyd riots, with the, the riots in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with the storming of the state capitals in Wisconsin and Texas, with all of these things, the media took the side of the protesters. With, with the protesters and the terrorists in Atlanta, the media takes their side. The media says it's no big deal. The media says it was democracy in action. And then along come these people on January 6th who do the same thing. And the media say, oh, they're terrorists. They're insurrectionists. They all need to be thrown in prison. Tucker Carlson called it a mostly peaceful protest. It wasn't a coincidence he did it because that's what CNN called the burning of Kenosha, Wisconsin fiery but mostly peaceful protest. He chose his words to mirror what the rest of the media has done. And now here is a situation where the state legislature in Mississippi is trying to save lives of a city whose government doesn't care about them. And they're vilified as racists in the Associated Press for having the audacity to try to protect the lives of citizens. They're just throwing the race card at them. Oh, you can't protect these people. You got to let them get gunned down or you're a racist. The American media has no intention of correcting itself, which is why the American people's opinion of the media is so incredibly low. The legislature and the governor in Mississippi should do the right thing and pass this legislation and get it signed and get it enacted and stamp out crime in the city and stop worrying about how the Associated Press is going to vilify him because that's what the Associated Press is going to do no matter what. If they fail to act, they will also be accused of being racist. The only way to get out of being accused of being a racist is to just write an open blank check to the city of Jackson, Mississippi, and let their left-leaning progressive mayor spin it however he wants, and I guarantee you he wouldn't spin it on fighting crime. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned the SAT and the ACT. That one hits close to home, having a kid who's now in that process and having to th- get serious about thinking about colleges and where she wants to go. She really wants to go to Georgia Tech. She really wants to be an engineer, at least right now. She's a brilliant artist. Now, I, I know parents say that their kid is a great artist or whatnot. Uh, my kid actually, when she was in ninth grade, they put her in 12th grade art, and she won, like, statewide art competition. It's just she's... Okay, she's so good that I actually thought she must have like cheated. <laughs> Shouldn't admit that, terrible dad. But yeah, she she's really good. But she wants to be an engineer, and and part of it is she always wanted to go to art school. And as she got older and became more and more aware of what I do for a living, she's like, yeah, probably wouldn't fit in. So now she says she wants to go learn to make the bombs we drop on China, which thumbs up for that. But that SAT ACT stuff hits close to home. This one does as well. Uh, This is from the Wall Street Journal. Flying to the most popular destinations for spring getaways is costing travelers significantly more on average than before the pandemic. Warm weather destinations are among those seeing the largest jump in prices compared with 2019. For round-trip tickets to Orlando from anywhere in the United States between March and April of 2023, the average price travelers paid was 31% higher than... Than from the same period in 2019, Orlando ranked as the top destination for travelers during those months, according to the company. Other popular destinations are seeing even higher average ticket prices compared to 2019. Average ticket prices in March and April are up 51% for flights to Cancun, 41% for flights to Vegas. It's getting very expensive to go on spring break. Uh, we actually rented a, a house for spring break on the beach in Hilton Head. And I'll be going in a couple of weeks down there for a week, which we do. We, we tend to do this every year. Uh, and I was, we, it was more expensive than it had been in the past to rent this house. And I just, I, I get the house and we bring um, friends and family along with us, fill up the house, have a good time. But uh, I just, we thought about taking a big trip and we're like, it's, it's just too expensive It's uh, dealing with first, you got the kennel costs. We've got a dog that wouldn't be able to go with us. And then putting four of us on a plane, wherever we went, uh, we're, we're hoping to. And I think from Memorial day to my birthday, I'm going to take the family to Sedona, Arizona, which they've, we've been once and they really wanted to go back. It's been, the kids were really young when we went, they want to go back. They want to see the grand Canyon. And so we're probably going to do that and just flying is really expensive. Whether you're in first class or economy or, or you're you're in the, the main cabin, cheap seats, it is expensive. And the most annoying part about it is it's so family unfriendly these days to fly, you're not guaranteed to be able to sit in the same seats with the rest of your family. It's one thing I commend the Biden administration for is they're trying to get airlines to agree to allow families to sit together on a plane. I, I'm just actually kind of dumbfounded how flying has become so family unfriendly these days. Uh, It's like they're punishing people for buying tickets for themselves and their family to go on vacation, and I kind of do hope they crack down on that. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the phone number, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program? Well, we got to talk about the boring subject. I'll try to make it exciting and entertaining for you, but it's kind of boring. We have to. We we gotta. We gotta set the scene for you here. At some point in the past, I cannot remember the exact date. I, I think it was in the late '60s, early '70s. Don Rumsfeld was still in Congress, so it was before he he before he started working for Nixon. Um, so maybe the late '60s. They. Congress decided to enact the debt ceiling, and it allows the government to go into debt only so far before Congress has to raise the debt ceiling. And at this point, they just keep raising it and raising it and raising it and raising it. And we have a, we're going to have a fiscal reckoning coming. It is not going to be good. We're going to have to deal with the problem. And right now, Republicans control the House. Democrats control the Senate of the White House and appropriations measures have to come through the House representatives. And the Republicans, they only care about spending when Democrats control the White House, but at least they care on occasion. And they have said they are not going to go along with raising the debt ceiling without any sort of cuts from the white house and the white house said, Republicans, you go first, you tell us what you want to cut. Well, the Republicans don't want to do that because they know what's going to happen. They're immediately going to be vilified. And the president, no, 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 you go first, you go first. Well, the Republicans are like, you go first. Well, now the president is going to unveil his budget. The budget comes out tomorrow and you know what the, I don't even have to tell you what Joe Biden's going to do. And you already know, He's going to propose trimming federal budget deficits. Notice trimming federal budget deficits, not trimming the federal budget, trimming the deficits by $3 trillion over the next 10 years. As his administration embraces the politics of debt reduction amid a fight with Republicans, the plan will rely heavily on a familiar batch of tax increases on corporations and high earners, along with savings from some spending reductions, including efforts to save money on federal health care programs by expanding legislation that allows Medicare to negotiate the price of certain prescription drugs. To help increase federal revenues and reduce the nation's reliance on borrowed money, he wants taxes on households worth more than $100 million dollars, that would apply to their earned income and to unrealized gains in the value of their liquid assets, like stocks. He also wants quadrupling of a tax on stock buybacks that was approved as part of a tax, healthcare, and climate bill he signed last year. These are all things that will hurt the economy, you do realize. These are all things that will hurt the economy. Let's just talk for a moment about the unrealized gain on uh, liquid assets. This is, this is probably unconstitutional by the way, because you're, you're taxing, you're making people pay money for nothing. Let me explain this one to you. And now I went to law school, which means I don't do math. So I'll keep everything as simple as I possibly can. Let's say you buy stock for a hundred dollars. You buy $100 in company whatever that makes great widgets. You want a great company, you buy all your widgets from this company. You take the Warren Buffett rule, you buy stock in the companies you use, and by God, you buy widgets, so you're going to buy $100 of stock. Well, the stock does really great, doesn't it? And the stock goes up to $1,000. Your $100 share of stock is now worth $1,000, which means what's your profit of the stock? $900. According to Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren's plan, you got to pay taxes on that $900. You got to pay them 20% of that $900. Now you're thinking, wait a second. I have it cashed. The stock. I, I I have I haven't cashed it out. It's it's nine hundred. It, it's a thousand dollars on paper, which is a nine hundred dollar increase. But I, I I still own the share of stock. I I haven't gotten money for it. I have no benefit from the stock except on paper. It doesn't do me any good. I can't buy anything with it unless I sell the stock. But because it went up nine hundred dollars, Joe Biden wants twenty percent of it. Which was what? $180? I think that's right. Yeah, because ten percent would be ninety dollars. So yeah, hundred and eighty dollars. See, I could do simple math. Not my wife. You my wife, by the way, just as an as my wife could you can tell my wife, okay, uh, what is a third of a billion dollars? What is a third of a billion nine hundred fifty one dollars and thirty-nine cents? What is a third of that? And she, the moment she converts the billion the nine hundred fifty one thousand thirty eight dollars to, to – she puts a dollar sign in front of it, she boom, done. You ask her, what is a third of a billion dollars? Or I'm sorry, a third of a billion? No idea. What is a third of a billion dollars? Immediately she can do the math. Put a dollar sign on that sucker. My wife is a built-in human cash register. It's amazing. But if you just ask her the number, nope, she's got to convert it to what is my spending? <laughs> It's, it is one of the most amazing superpowers I have ever seen a human being have. What's half of $1,000 or what's half of 1000 No idea. What's half of $1,000? Boom, $500. It's just, it's remarkable. In this case, I can do the very simple math. Joe Biden wants you to pay him $180 because your stock went up $900. You haven't sold the stock. You've got no money for the stock. You've got no financial benefit for the stock. And yet, Joe Biden wants you to pay him $180 because your stock increased in value. It's absurd. I hope you understand it's absurd. Because what happens? The day after the assessment... The day after the assessment comes through, the stock crashes, and suddenly your $100 stock that went up to $1,000 is now worth $50. You've now lost $40. Joe Biden wants you to pay him $180 for a stock on which you've now lost $40. Why does that make any sense? Now, what they're going to say is, well, the next year, next year, when you file, you'll be able to deal with that and and you'll be able to recoup some of the money. In 365 days from now, you'll be able to get some of your money back. It's absurd on its face. The amount of accounting and bookkeeping that would have to go into that is genuinely absurd. And yet this is what the Democrats want. It is arguably unconstitutional to tax Americans for something they don't actually have value in. It's only on paper. It's arguably unconstitutional. You're allowed to, you are allowed to tax income. The Constitution was amended to allow you to tax income. That's not income. That increase in valuation is not actually income. Now, the Biden administration, well, it was not going to matter because it's only going to affect people who make more than a million dollars a year. Or not. It matters because it's constitutional or not, and it's deeply cumbersome, and it will cause all sorts of paperwork errors and all that, regardless of him wanting to raise taxes on corporations and everything else. And let's be honest, corporations don't pay taxes. We pay their taxes in the form of higher prices. That That's what, the Biden administration wants to do. It's nonsensical. He knows it's going to get rejected and he doesn't really care because he wants to pin the blame for fiscal problems on Republicans. He doesn't actually want to solve the problems. Now let's deal with the Republican side of the equation. This also from the New York Times hard right House Republicans are readying a plan to gut the nation's foreign aid budget and make deep cuts to health care, food assistance, and housing programs for poor Americans in their drive to balance the federal budget as the party toils to coalesce around a plan that will deliver on their promise to slash spending. Republicans are ready this week to condemn President Biden's forthcoming budget as bloated and misguided and have said they will propose their own next month. But uniting the fractious conference around a list of deep cuts to popular programs will be the biggest test yet for Kevin McCarthy, who will need to win the support of Republicans in competitive districts and conservative hardliners to cobble together the 218 votes needed to win the passage of a budget plan. Privately, even some top party officials have questioned how Republicans will meet their spending objectives while keeping their members in line. The most conservative lawmakers in his conference who are emboldened after a four-day standoff with Mr. McCarthy during his election as speaker are pursuing cuts that they concede could cause political pain and blowback among their colleagues. There's going to be gnashing of teeth, says Congressman Ralph Northam of South Carolina. It's not going to be a pretty process, but that's how it should be. The ugliness owes in part to a paradigm shift among Republicans. After decades of futile efforts to cut the enormous costs of Social Security and Medicare, Republicans have pledged not to touch the biggest entitlement programs, whose spending grows automatically and are in an unsustainable trajectory as more Americans reach retirement. Now, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny there? The New York Times, when they're talking about Republicans' unwillingness to fix Social Security and Medicare, are is willing to acknowledge – that it's going to become unsustainable. When Joe Biden talks about Social Security and Medicare, they ignore altogether that it's going to become unsustainable. It's when Republicans don't want to fix it that the New York Times goes after it. Coupled with their promise not to raise taxes, that leaves the GOP to consider a slash-and-burn approach to a slew of federal programs and agencies. Oh, and look at that. They they got Russ, Russ in there. My buddy Russ Vogt used to be the OMB director for Donald Trump. They got his picture in this Times article. As they meet privately to develop their plan, Republicans say they are relying heavily on a budget outline developed by Russell T. Vogt, the former Trump administration budget director who now leads the far-right Center for Renew in America. In an interview, Mr. Vogt said it made strategic sense to shift away from politically impregnable Social Security and Medicare and instead target an array of programs conservatives have criticized for years. The strategy suggested by Mr. Vogt, who has become something of an intellectual and tactical guru to many of the hardliners in the House Republican Conference, well, he should because he's wicked smart, would enact deep spinning cuts to what he calls woke and weaponized government. The outline includes a 45% cut to foreign aid adding work requirements for food stamp and Medicaid beneficiaries, a 43% cut to housing programs, including phasing out of Section 8 programs that pay a portion of monthly rent costs for low-income people, cutting the FBI's counterintelligence budget by nearly half, and eliminating Obamacare expansions to Medicaid. Now, here's the thing. They also want to get rid of the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion of the Pentagon, which would save some money. One of the things Russ is championing is getting rid of these woke programs. Why is the federal government paying for gender reassignment surgeries? Then get rid of that. We're $32 trillion in debt. Something's got to give. Joe Biden says he wants to raise these taxes, some of which probably aren't constitutional, and wouldn't close much of a debt gap at all. The Republican spending cuts are actually kind of serious. It's a serious proposal. The problem here is not dealing with Social Security and Medicare. Donald Trump has painted the Republicans into a box. He doesn't want them to touch Social Security and Medicare. you got to eventually touch Social Security and Medicare if you want to rein in the federal budget. Both sides have problems. I will say, though, and yes, you can accuse me of being partisan here, but I think Joe Biden makes less sense than the GOP. At least the Republicans want to cut stuff. Listen, Joe Biden says he wants to raise taxes. The problem here is with the economy headed into a downturn. You raise taxes, you're not actually going to get as much revenue as you think, but you can cut government programs. And those cutting those programs will save some money. Republicans are in the right here. And by the way, don't look now. BlackRock says the Federal Reserve could hike interest rates to 6%. That's going to slow the economy down even further. It's going to send us into a recession. Joe Biden's budget uh, tax increases aren't going to do anything to help us there. You're not going to get that revenue. But cutting the federal government will help tremendously and also put some work requirements back into welfare. That makes common sense. The GOP is on the right path here, and you will note the only criticisms the New York Times offers explicitly is Republicans don't want to touch Medicare and Social Security. And you and I both know the moment they do, the New York Times will attack them. One group that's pushing back on all these attacks from the left is Patriot Mobile, and all you have to do to help them is move your cell phone service to them. Go to patriotmobile.com slash eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can move your cell phone service to Patriot Mobile. If you do, you get guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers everyone else uses. More importantly... You're not using a woke business you're using a christian conservative business that actually spends its money on christian conservative causes they support the second amendment movement they support the pro-life movement they support veterans and first responders they even support the homeschool movement and conservative parents fighting wokes for school board elections they take a portion of their profits they commit to these causes but they need you as a customer to grow their profits and in exchange you get guaranteed great service you can even keep your existing phone number You can call them at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation or just go to patriotmobile.com slash eric today. You'll get guaranteed great service, free activation with my name. You'll be joining a cause bigger than yourself. You'll be helping conservatives around the country by using a Christian conservative cell phone company, patriotmobile.com slash eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Gigi Schoen is out. Y'all have no idea who I'm talking about, do you? It's a good thing. Uh, This was Joe Biden's pick to serve as a telecommunications regulator at the FCC. It's been a 16-month-long battle. It blocked her. She is a public interest advocate, and she actually used to be a Democratic FCC official. Uh, She was nominated in October 2021. She has withdrawn her name. She says, following unrelenting, dishonest, and cruel attacks seeded by cable and media industry lobbyists. She's actually pretty aggressively partisan, and she's actually taken some very extreme positions on regulation of the media and weaponizing the FCC against conservative voices. She's actually said a whole lot of things uh, that are deeply inflammatory and uh, suggested she really did want to censor conservatives and use her position to censor conservatives. She's been a partisan activist. She actually ran a group that helped fund races for several Democrats in Congress who wanted to vote for her. She's just too extreme. And now what they're doing is I apparently, I, I guess she's a lesbian. I don't know. But that, that's what they're atta- saying, that all these people, they they made homophobic attacks. I never heard the attacks. The attacks I heard were that she's super extremist and she hates conservatives. And those aren't attacks. It's just the truth. And it would have been. Ba- so here's the thing. Um, and and not, not to go into the weeds with a lot of people who don't care. There is a movement even in a lot of radio um, businesses for people to be podcast first, radio second. I have a personal preference to be on the radio with you and handle live breaking news that you can't get in a podcast. The live breaking news is happening now. A week from now when you listen to the podcast, it's not. There are a lot of people who are pivoting in radio because they're afraid for the future of radio. I think radio is a viable future tool. Radio is a viable business for the future. It's unfortunate that a lot of people who own radio stations, particularly talk stations, actually are deeply opposed to conservative talk and don't like the format, even however useful and such a revenue generator it is. They think that, oh, it's old people who listen. It's not young people. Not what my data says. But a lot of people in radio are hostile to existing radio, and people like Gigi Sohn are also deeply hostile to radio, and she wants to to essentially smother talk radio with a bunch of regulations. And I personally think that talk radio can yet again save radio if it's done right, and. She is one of those people who just wants to punish voices she doesn't like on radio and use the FCC to do so. So it's very good for you and for me that her nomination has now been withdrawn because she didn't have the votes. She would have been a progressive activist on the FCC. So good riddance.